We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning, Romans chapter number 7. And while you're turning there, this is a, a great passage of Scripture because it's, it's so relevant for today. It's one of those passages that where Paul is, is kind of speaking very personal about himself, but at the same time, he's talking about a plight that every single Christian faces. And so it's a great lesson, it's a great reminder, because sometimes we forget that the Christian life is a struggle. You know, just because we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior doesn't mean all the problems go away. Doesn't mean that old nature goes away. Doesn't mean that the sin goes away. We still live in a sin-infested world. And just because we have that new nature inside of us, we still also have that old nature inside of us. And so Paul is talking about that here. He's, he's giving us one of those rare glimpses of his, of his personality, of his personal life. But like I said, it's something that's applicable to every single one of us. Chapter number 7, we'll start in verse number 14. Paul is writing at the leading of the Holy Spirit, and he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. So the first thing we see here, he says, for we know the law is spiritual. He acknowledges the fact that the law is a spiritual thing. It's spiritual in several different senses. Once the, uh, one, the, the law was given to man by the Spirit of God, just as this is being given to us by the Spirit of God. So in the sense that it's given to us by the Spirit, it becomes a spiritual thing. The law is spiritual because it describes the will and the desire of God. It describes what he wants for us, the very, very best. It tells us what God is like. People struggle with this in the world. They're like, I wish I had a more better understanding of God. You know how you get a better understanding of God? Read your Bible. He's given us a Bible. He's given us 66 books that describe who he is and how we relate to him and, and our, our functions with him and his with us. But so many people won't pick it up. They won't read it. They, they wait to be spoon-fed either on Sunday morning or they don't, they don't read it at all. Or they, they take what somebody has cut and pasted on Facebook and take that as, a, as, as their spirituality for the week. And I have no problem with devotions, particularly daily devotionals. We have a great daily devotional out there in the hallway for you. But understand, you need to read and study the Bible for yourself. It's powerful. It's living. It's the only book that you will read, and it will be different every time you read it. Not because it changes, but because it changes how it's highlighted to us and how it's emphasized to us. And it's also spiritual because of its purpose. We've talked a lot about the purpose of the law. We talked a lot about it last week. The purpose of the law is very, very simple, to show that we are severely lacking without God. That in and of ourselves, we can, you know, we, we can kind of pretend a little bit that we're not sinful. But once the law gets in, it kind of exposes all of our sin. And we can't hide anymore. That's why the world hates this book. Because they can't read this book without having their sins highlighted. And Christians, neither can you. When you read this book, it's going to highlight your sins. It's going to get uncomfortable. But praise God, because if we can't see the stains, we can't work on them. If we can't see our failings, we don't know which, what to fight against. So Paul is saying the law is spiritual. Then continuing in verse 14, he says, but I am carnal. We see that, that contrast there. The law is spiritual, I'm carnal. So we see very, very quickly that he's, he's showing this contrast. He says, I am carnal, sold under sin. 
For that which I do, I allow not. For that which I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So we see these professions that he's making. Paul is making these professions as he goes on about his personal spiritual walk. And like I said, these professions, they, they apply to all of us. The first, one, the first profession is the law is spiritual. The second profession is, is uh, Paul says that he is unspiritual. The law is spiritual. He's unspiritual. Think of, of what happens when you try and mix oil and water. What happens? You stir it up real good, and almost immediately, as soon as you stop, what starts to happen with oil and water? They start to separate. That's Paul. That's, his, that's what he's saying here, that, that the law is spiritual and he is carnal. So when you mix the two together, what happens? They start going to opposite ends because they're very, very different. They don't mix. He's carnal. He's a slave to sin. The word carnal or, or fleshly here literally means to be made of flesh, but, but it also means to be, to be given over to the flesh, the desires of our bodies, the desires of our lusts, that we're given over to those things. And that's what Paul is saying. We look at, you know, sometimes we, we set Paul up on a pedestal because other than Jesus Christ, he's probably the greatest evangelist in, in the Bible. Plants churches, he's, you know, bold in his profession, and yet here he is saying, it's like oil and water, me and God. We're completely different. He acknowledges that. Many Christians won't acknowledge that. They refuse to acknowledge that they have those carnal desires. They refuse to acknowledge those sins are still inside of them. They put on that happy face. and They pretend like they're so, so honorable and pious that, that they're better than everybody else and that they're just like God, and we're not. I'm not. I fail God so often. I fail myself so often. When I read this, sometimes when you read this, it gets a little confusing because of the way he words it. But I'm, I'm reading it, I'm like, that's me. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I don't do it. And I know what I'm not supposed to do, and I do it. You know, that doesn't stop when you're a kid. That's our lives. We just hide it better as we get older. Paul says he's sold under sin. He simply means that, that, that as a creature of flesh, as a man, he's a slave to sin. In John 8, 34, Jesus answered, answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Paul's saying, that's me. That's me. I'm a servant of sin. Paul makes three points here about his carnal self, about being sold under sin. He says, that which I do, I allow not. The word allow means to recognize it. A carnal man finds himself doing things that he knows he's not supposed to be, do. And he can't even understand why, they're, why he's doing them. Have you ever done that? You know it's wrong. And you're right in the middle of it. And you can't stop. That's what Paul is talking about here. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. You know, my sins are different than your sins. Your sins are different than the person sitting beside you. And as society, we like to grade sins. We like to say, well, that's a really, really bad sin. And that sin's not so bad. But to God, they're all sin. Now, some are classified as abominations. Some do get their own little category. But the end result is, it doesn't matter what your sin is, we find ourselves here. You don't have to show hands. Please don't show hands. 
But about 15 minutes from now, how many of you are want to go get to your car so you can smoke a cigarette? And you know you shouldn't. Don't raise your hands. And you know you shouldn't. And while you're smoking that cigarette, you're like, I know I shouldn't do this. I know it's bad for me. I know God doesn't want me to do this to the temple. But you're still doing it. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Paul's talking about. Then he says, what I would, that I do not. He's saying, I want to do right. I want to do the right thing, and I don't do it. It's a temple from God. I, I want to get out every morning and go exercising. I got up at 5 o'clock this morning. You know what I did? What? Rolled over? Were you watching? Because that's exactly what I did. I, at 5 o'clock, I'm like, ah, oh, 5 o'clock, I'm up. Looked at my phone. Yep, 5 o'clock. Mm, this chilly. I'll, I'll another hour. I'll make another hour. You rationalize it, right? Another hour of sleep, I'll be fresher and more energetic in the pulpit. And so I got another hour of sleep. And then I'm standing in the back. I'm talking to Justin. My wife walks in. She's like, what's wrong? You look tired. <laughs> I couldn't get away with that. Hey, guys, can you go up to your wife and say, what's wrong? You look tired. Only if you want to feed yourself for the rest of the day. That's the first thing out of her mouth when she got here. She's in the other building. You can rebuke her for that later. I got an extra hour. How can I look tired? I don't know. I don't understand. But he says he, he wanted to be conformed to the image of God. He, he wanted to become all God wanted him to be. He wanted to do these things. He has the knowledge. He knows it. And he found himself coming up short of God's will and God's glory at every step. Then he takes it a step further. He says, what I hate, that I do. He does the things that he hates. Do you do anything that you hate? Again, you don't need to show hands. You don't need to nod heads. Just, just think about that. Do you ever do anything you hate? Of course you do. Paul hated sin. Paul was God's man. He hated sin, and yet he's telling us, I keep doing it. I keep sinning. I don't know what Paul's sin was. If I had to guess, based on some of the other things that, that happened in his life, he had a little bit of pride. Some issues with pride. God used, God used some things to humble that too, by the way. So that means Paul was actively fighting it, and Paul, Paul was praying to God to fight it, and Paul gave him some things to kind of buffet that a little bit. But I would imagine that was probably a lifetime struggle. And you look at Paul, and you can understand why. He was probably, of the people that wrote the Bible... He was probably the best educated. We could debate. Moses had a pretty good education. But we, I mean, we could debate a couple other ones. But he was probably the best educated. He probably knew more, in the, for the New Testament, he probably knew more about the law than any of the other writers. So, you know, he's the guy, you know, that, that teaches at the college. Except he wasn't that guy. He was out actively building churches and planning churches. But he would be that guru, the one that everybody else would go to for, for knowledge, the one that we, everybody else would go to for guidance. And he's saying, I keep doing what I hate. I keep doing what I hate. Paul hated it. He hated everything about it. He hated that it hurt and cut the very heart of God. He, he fought to erase it from his life. But no matter how much he hated and struggled against it, he kept coming up short. That carnal life demonstrates that human nature 
and knowledge are inadequate. See, I want you to see the picture that Paul is painting. Paul is saying that I can't do this because I keep doing it wrong. If Paul tries to live in his strength, he can't do it. And if you try and live the Christian life in your strength, you can't do it. We mentioned cigarettes earlier. You want to quit cigarettes? You can't do that on your own. You need the strength of God. You can't stop the drinking. You can't stop the drugs. I know lots of people. I remember some, a guy I was talking to one time. He's like, I can stop drinking any time I want. I stopped three times last week. <laughs> you finally stopped with the help of Jesus Christ. Because he can take those things away from you. He can take those addictions away from you. Things that the world says you can never be cured of. You can never be fixed of. God says I can fix those. Remember, he's the one that called Lazarus out of the grave. He's the one that raised himself from the grave. If he can do that, show me a doctor that can take a body that's been dead for three days and, and, and have him walk out of a grave. I don't know a doctor like that. But I know a Savior like that. Paul's conclusion is that man is sinful, depraved. He has a corrupt nature. By the way, this isn't an excuse. He was, a, he was a genuine believer. He did not want to sin. He was actually willed not to sin, but yet he sinned. But this is an excuse because you notice he's not just giving up to it. And as Christians, we can't just give up to it. And that's not what he's teaching here. I've, I've talked to some Christians, and they've, they've taken this passion and said, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm carnal. I just give up. And I do what I want because there's nothing I can do about it. I'm sinful. That's not the point Paul's trying to make here. That's not the life that Paul lived. His third profession, verse number 18. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more that do I do it, that I no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I knew I wasn't going to get through these verses. These are kind of hard to read because the way he talks is a little, a little backwards. It's like trying to translate from another language, which is actually what it is. His third confession is, is that he's void of any good thing. See, Paul understood, you know, as high-minded as he could get sometimes, as prideful as he could get, he knew that there was nothing good inside of him. He was a complete degenerate before God. He was completely sinful before God. He knew there was nothing good. The Bible tells us there is none good, no, not one. And we like to believe that we're good. You know, we, we pass out the turkeys and say, well, look what a good thing we did. And where that's going to help people, that's technically not good. Only Jesus Christ is good. Now, we're doing it in his name, but what we do is technically not good. You know why Paul says that the flesh is void of any good thing? He, he wills and resolves not to sin, but it's to, to no avail. His conclusion is the same as the first point. He is void of any good thing because he's sinful. Sin and holiness cannot reside in the same vessel. No matter how much he wills and resolves, he fails and comes up short every single 
time. Verse number 21. I find then a law that I, when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So his third profession was he was void of any good thing. Now, now he's very simply, Paul is saying that, that his, Paul wills to do good, and he's immediately confronted by evil, by sin. He sees two different laws here. Now, we're not, just, we're not using the word law here just to mean Old Testament law. He's talking about two different things that control him, two different forces that impact on his life. He says, I see two laws. There's a confrontation. There's a conflict that's taking place inside of him. And as a Christian, you've probably felt that conflict. And that's what precipitated all this, where he says, I know what's right and I do wrong. I want to do good and I do wrong. I know what's wrong and I want to do right and I don't, I don't even try, I don't even do it. It's because we have those two warring natures inside of us. It's like a civil war going on inside of our bodies. And he's talking about these two forces the law of evil, the law of sin, verse 21 and 23. The law of evil, evil battles against the inward man. What is the inward man? That's that holiness that God has placed inside of us. The law of our mind, that's the, the, the spirit inside of us. The law of evil, or the law of sin, means that, that, that sin is a, is a power. Not that it's a law like the Old Testament law, but it's something that influences us. It's something that forces us. It's something that when we, when we push against it, there's consequences. You know, when we, there's consequences when we try and fight against the, against the law of sin. I don't know why I keep bringing up smoking, but think about this for a minute. And again, you don't have to hold up any hands. These are rhetorical questions. But I know that some of you have smoked, and some of you have quit, some of you are still smoking. But think about when you quit. And I know that you guys that, that, that are smokers, I know you've quit probably this week. But when you quit that sin, there's a consequence, isn't it? Because sin isn't just in the mind and just in the heart. It's in your body. And when you stop whatever that thing is, whether it's, whether it's uh, the nicotine or whether it's the alcohol or whether it's the drugs or whether it's the, 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 the power and the money or whether it's the lust, when you give those things up, when you push those away, your body, your nature reacts against that. Because there's consequences to breaking laws even the law of sin, even the law of evil has that tendency, that pull, that urgency that wants to draw you in. It doesn't want to let you go. It doesn't want to give up without a fight. The law of the inward man, that's the divine nature of God. The law of the mind, that's the one that he's placed inside of us. That's that new man that he created, created inside of us. That's the abiding presence of, of Jesus Christ in our, in our lives. That's the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that he gave us. Remember that, that Holy Spirit that he promised us when he was here on earth? In John 14, 16 through 17, and then verse 26, he says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, 
for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And then John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. This is the promises that Jesus Christ made us while, while he was here. That he was going to send that indwelling force inside of us. It's very simply stated that that law of the inward man is the law, the rule, the the uh, uh, disposition, the urgency, the tug, the pull, whatever, how you want to say that force, to do the will of God, to do the bidding of God. So we're pulled in two different directions, by the law of sin and by the law of God. We're pulled in two different directions, Christians, and, and it's important for us to recognize this because if we try to ignore this, we, we end up being drawn into the side of sin. But when we realize there's a battle, we realize there's a fight going on inside of us. We are better suited to be able to win that fight, to be able to let the Holy Spirit have his way and not the law of sin. Paul isn't trying to get Christians to give up and stop the fight. On the contrary, he's trying to get Christians to recognize there's a fight going on. The hardest enemy to battle against is one that you don't know and one you don't recognize. Paul wants us to recognize the enemy. Because once we know who we're fighting, once we know who the enemy is, then we can fight back effectively. Verse 24, we see the fifth profession of Paul. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul's fifth profession is that he's a desperate, wretched, who needs a deliverer. You see, this was the focus of the law in the Old Testament. And this continues to be the focus of the law today. That law that we fight against in our bodies, that law of sin, shows us the fact that we need to deliver because we failed fighting it so many times. We've tried to do it on our own. We've tried to do what's right. We've tried not to do what's wrong. And we fail over and over and over again. And that brought Paul to the revelation or realization that he needs a deliverer, that he cannot do it on his own. He can't fight that war inside of him. There's no believer that's ever walked on this earth, no matter how advanced in holiness, who cannot use the same language that Paul uses here. If we're honest with ourselves, there is a bondage there's a power of sin. There is a force that's within our bodies, it's within the, in the believer's nature that we cannot completely resist. So we need a deliverer. Not just a deliverer that we needed, not, not just a deliverer that delivered us from sin that one time, the one that justified us from our sins past and our sins future. We need a deliverer that can come up inside of us every single day one that can deliver us from the powers of sin. It's this consciousness that drives the believer to the awareness that deliverance is found only in Jesus Christ. In verse 25, we see the sixth confession of Paul. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with flesh, the law of sin. The sixth confession of Paul is that the great deliverer is, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen?
He is our deliverer. This is a, it isn't just an a, a afterthought. This is the point. The point is we have a deliverer. Deliverance comes through Jesus Christ in, in two ways that we just mentioned. First of all, it comes through justification. When we have accepted him as our Savior, and if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, let today be that day. You can be set free. You can have that new nature placed inside of you. You can, you can finally have the power within you to be able to, to stand up to that law of sin that was in you since you were born. You can finally have something to fight back. More importantly, by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ensure your eternity. That eventually we leave this world and we're going to go someplace else. And by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can be, spend our eternity in heaven with him. He also delivers us in another way. He delivers us in that ongoing way, that daily way that Paul is talking about here, that, that war that's going on inside of us. Once we have the, the, the Holy Spirit inside of us, now we have a companion, now we have an aid, now we have a deliverer who can deliver us day to day today from anything that the law of sin throws at us. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is one deliverer, and that is Jesus Christ. There is no other way. There is no other power. We can deceive ourselves and believe that we can do something that we can't, but we will always fail when left to our own power. In Romans 12, 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because of Jesus Christ, the believer takes his new mind. And that new mind can serve the law of God. And when he fails, when he caves to sin, like Paul was saying, he's got that new mind to restore him. He's got that new force inside of him that can be his restoration. They can pick him up and put his feet back on the path that he has for him. His will, his nature doesn't go away as long as he's here on this earth. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you've got that nature. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you get a second nature. Now you have an ally. Now you have a way to fight. <clears throat> That's why Paul talks so much about fighting. He's waging a war. He's not waging a war. Sometimes Christians, we get in our minds that our job is to wage a war against the world. He's waging a war against himself. And Christians, as we wage a war against ourselves and we get right, then the church gets right. And the church can get itself back to its position of preeminence where we influence the world instead of allowing the world to influence us. That's why the church is here. The church isn't here just to be a passive organization. The church isn't here just to be a, a place to go and meet with like-minded believers. The church is here to be something that will change the world for Jesus Christ. To build his kingdom up. To further his will. So my question is twofold. One, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? 
Is there a point in time in your life where you turn from your sins and turn to Jesus Christ? If there is, praise God. You've got that power inside of you. If not, you're all out there by yourself. Not just in this world, but in all eternity. But if you have, Christians, it's important that you admit that there's still a sin nature inside of you. And it's like a cancer. You know, we can, we can try and hide it. We can try to cover it up. Or we can let the great physician deal with it. Let him take care of it. See, the Christian life isn't an easy life. It's not any harder than the carnal life. It's actually a little easier than the carnal life because in the carnal life, we're going to face all the same things, but we're doing it by ourselves. And where the Christian life isn't easy, at least now we have an advocate. At least now we have one that will go through it with us. Let's all stand. Invite our music.